I am constantly impressed by young people. And I, I know the irony of me being a 22-year-old talking about young people is not lost on me. But uh, there's a big difference, I, I think, between being like a teenager and being even in your young 20s. And uh, there are some really impressive young people here in this congregation, but there are also some really impressive young people in the Bible. And we're going to be talking about one of those today. Uh, we're going to be talking about Daniel in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to be opening to Daniel chapter 1. And uh, it says Daniel's a young man here. It's not entirely sure uh, what age he is, but probably somewhere between like 14 and 20. We'll say like 18-ish. So imagine 18-year-old Daniel uh, is he's taken from his homeland. He is brought to Babylon. He's in like a whole new world, kidnapped basically from where he is from, and it's a crazy tumultuous time to be Daniel. And yet, he gives us some really powerful lessons uh, on what we should be like as people living in a strange world. And, uh, you know, Peter talks about it, about our Christian life this way, that we are strangers and exiles here, that we're here in a world uh, full of people that don't share the same values that we share, don't uh, believe the same things we believe, but in the midst of difficult and at times antagonistic forces, we have to be able to keep our faith. And so we're going to be talking today about uh, keeping your faith in a foreign world. Uh, And if you will, open uh, to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read the first seven verses as a bit of introduction to this, and uh, then we'll, uh, we'll make some points from this story. So Daniel chapter 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God and brought them to the land of Shinar, which is Babylon. Uh, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So the king besieges uh, Israel, takes some of the finest people and brings them to Babylon. In verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the unit gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So the Babylonians have this sort of interesting strategy uh, for when they take over a country, and that is that they take the best and the brightest, and they bring them to Babylon, and they educate them in all the ways of the Babylonians to make them some sort of, like, ambassadors, I guess. Uh, Basically, they're going to turn these Jewish people into Babylonian officials. Uh, They're going to shove a bunch of propaganda down their throats and turn them into really good Babylonians. So they teach them all kinds of Babylonian uh, literature. 
They teach them the language of the Babylonians. They give them Babylonian names, taking away their names, uh, their Jewish names, which worship the God of heaven, and uh, turn them to Babylonian names, worshiping Bel. And uh, even in the midst of this, we find that Daniel and his friends find a way to keep their faith. And that's what we see in verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So even in this crazy world that Daniel has been pulled off to, he says, there's something that's really important to me. I'm going to keep my faith. I am not going to defile myself with the king's food. And so he takes a stand. And that's the first thing we're going to talk about here. Uh, Maintaining integrity. This is the first lesson that we can learn from Daniel. Because even when he could have just totally blended in with the other Babylonians, even when he could have given up his faith and chosen to defile himself because who cares, I'm in Babylon now. He didn't do that. He took a stand uh, and chose not to defile himself. And we'll talk in the next point about what made this food so bad. But for now, just take it as face value that his stand to not eat this food was a, a stand of faith. And we have a lot to learn from that because you know, we are often out in the world. Maybe uh, as a kid, you're in school, and you're among a bunch of other kids who don't have the same values as you. And it can be easy to talk like them. It can be easy to like uh, the same sorts of worldly things that they like, uh, to give in to the temptation to be like the world. But we're called to a higher standard than that. Uh, and in the same way, you know, you might go off to college, and for the first time in your life, it's not taken for granted that you're going to be at church every Sunday. You have to make that choice for yourself. And as you get older, you get into the workplace, and people expect you to be working when you are at work. And there are going to be times when there's not oversight. There are going to be times where you're going to have to make the choice that I'm going to do the honest thing, even if there would be no consequences uh, by people watching over me. I know what the right thing to do is. And that's what Daniel does here. He knows what the right thing to do is. And even though he probably could have gotten away with doing the wrong thing, he decided to do the right thing. And integrity, uh, it comes from uh, sort of a self-motivation. It's instead of being externally motivated by your parents or by uh, whoever other forces in your life telling you to do stuff, you know, I know what the right thing to do is and I want to do the right thing. And self-motivation and motivation in general comes from uh, a sort of expectancy. Uh, The psychologists have shown that motivation is a factor of uh, knowing that the things that you do will lead to an outcome that you want. Uh, so when you work hard at your job, you, you know, do well and you get paid money. It's a, you know, that's generally the psych- psychological context for it. But for us, we know there's a reason God tells us to do the things that he tells us to. He doesn't just arbitrarily make up rules for us to follow. That God has our best interest in mind. And sometimes it can be hard to see that. Uh, But we can definitely see it uh, in the flip side, that people who make poor choices, uh, things don't work out as well for them, that their life is harder, it's more difficult. And when we, as Christians, choose 
to make the choices, the, the honest choices, the right choices, then good things happen to us. And so uh, if you find yourself in a situation where it, it looks on the surface, like, uh, you know, it's not really that important that I do the right thing in this situation. Like, uh, who cares? You start to look for purpose in that moment. Uh, you take an example maybe of two different janitors. Imagine there's two janitors. They both work at a hospital. And one of them just sees himself as another guy that cleans up. It's, he's like, oh, my job's not really that important. I'm just, just helping out around here. And he doesn't feel a sense of pride for his work. He doesn't work hard. And he's not motivated to do well because he doesn't think what he does is that important. And so he doesn't do his job to the best of his ability. But there's another guy, a guy who sees the bigger picture, a guy who says, look, what I'm doing here is keeping this hospital safe and clean. And if the hospital's not clean, people are going to die. Like, I am here and part of my job is to help people save lives. And so this janitor has a bigger picture for what he's doing. And so we can be in circumstances where maybe you're at school and uh, you're tempted to cheat on an assignment. You know, no one would really care. It's not that big of a deal. And so you do it because you think it's not that big of a deal. But if you, if you could see the bigger picture, the, what honesty would do for you, what working diligently the way that God intended, what that would accomplish, then you would see that God's promises uh, or God's assurances to us to be honest and to be hardworking are for our benefit and that we go to school for our benefit. We have these jobs because there's, we're doing something. We are helping. And if we can see uh, that our actions will lead to positive outcomes. Uh, if we can see the importance of the stands that we take, it will be much, much easier for us to maintain integrity when there are times when our integrity is challenged, when it would be easy to not do the right thing. We search for reasons to do the right thing. We search for ways that we can help. And that's what I think Daniel does here. I think that's what makes him so valuable, uh, is that he chooses not to defile himself. He chooses in this foreign land to take a stand for his faith because he believes that it is important for him. And so I challenge us to do the same as we are out in the world to take a stand for our faith, to maintain our integrity, to find purpose for the stands that we're taking for the Lord and to take them with diligence. But there's another point that I really like from this verse and that is we have to let God provide. And I'll give a little bit of context for this. So uh, I said we would come back and talk about what made this food so bad. So Daniel says in verse 8, uh, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the, king's, with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So at first glance, uh, it might seem like the reason Daniel can't eat this food is because as a Jew, it's unclean to him. But I don't think that's the case because here it specifically mentions wine, which was not, uh, a, the, there were only two groups of people who were told specifically in the Old Testament that they couldn't drink wine. And it was the priests while they were ministering and people taking a Nazarite vow. And then it talks about the food as well. And while, of course, there are lots of unclean foods, unless the king is having like 
pork and shrimp every day, uh, it's unlikely that all of the food that he's getting is unclean. And so I don't think that this is about kosher laws. Uh, I think maybe we should read the story a little bit more and maybe we can uh, get a better picture on this. And I think uh, maybe it would be helpful to see that he did not want to defile himself with the king's food. I think maybe food is not as important here and maybe the word that we should be paying attention to is king's possessive. Let's read on, uh, we'll start in verse 9. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuch. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned you your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? So you would endanger my heart, my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants accordingly to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away the food and the wine that they had to drink and gave them vegetables. So the story goes like this. Daniel says, I don't want to defile myself with the king's food. I just want to eat vegetables. And the chief eunuch says, I don't think you can do that. Because the king, he's putting a lot of pressure on me. I need to deliver to him really healthy, strong young men. And if you're just eating vegetables, you're not going to be that. You know, we, we read vegetables and we think, ah, healthy. Like, we have developed in America very effective, maybe too effective, methods of getting calories into our body. Not so in the old world, in, in this world. Like, if you're only eating vegetables, you're going to waste away. You're not going to get enough food. And that's what this guy is worried about. The eunuch and the king gave them food specifically so that they would be strong. And Daniel says, I want to eat food that's going to make me weak. Like, that was the natural conclusion of the food that Daniel would eat. But at the end of this time, that's not what happens to Daniel. Daniel is stronger, healthier than any of the other people. And you look at that, that is a miracle. That Daniel could eat this thing that would not sustain him and it work out better for him is a powerful testament to God's power. So, why did this happen? So... I I said we should pay attention to kings. What made the food bad? It was from the king. But not just that it was from the king. The vegetables came from the king as well. What I think is going on here is this. Daniel is put in this program that at the end of the three years, Nebuchadnezzar is going to assess these men. And he's going to say, I gave them their education. I taught them their language. I gave them new names. I fed them their food. I made them who they are. And in, very, in a very real sense, that would be true. But Daniel says, I'm not going to let that happen. Daniel says, I am going to choose to do this thing that if natural consequences unfolded would be bad for me. But I'm going to create a space for God to work. Create a space where it's not the king who's taking care of me. It's not the king who is making me who I am. It is God. And we can do the same thing in our own lives. 
Maybe not so much with miracles, but there are definitely pockets of our life where we can clearly see God work, where there is no other explanation. I think about this like when I was in college. There were times when like, I had way more work than I really should have been able to do, and somehow I did it all pretty well. And I don't think that's a testament to me or my skills. I think that's a God thing. I think, again, about, and I think this is probably something that many of us can relate to, the crazy chain of events that led from me meeting Leah to marrying her, like, there were just the tiny probability of all the little things that went on, like, I didn't plan that. Like, it worked out really well for me, but what I'm saying is there are things ways that God provides for us that are beyond explanation by mankind. And I think that's what Daniel is doing here. He is creating a space where he can, in the midst of this world, where he's not sure, he needs a a way to see God at work in his life. And so he creates a space, a pocket, for God to work so that when he has doubts, he can come back and look at that specific instance and say, God was at work in my life. And we do this all the time by praying. We pray to God for things that sometimes might happen on their own, but often uh, we pray to God for things that are bigger than what we would naturally assume might happen as the course of events unfold. And when God answers those prayers, we have a, a new thing to look back on and base our faith on that God is always taking care of us. And this can, I mean, we can do this at any point in our lives. You know, when you're young, in like middle school, like I had some bullies that would beat up on me. And like, I, they were, I had some rough times in middle school, and I think almost everyone did. And when you are there in that circumstance, like just, you can pray about it. And maybe God will take that away from you, and maybe he won't. I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in a couple verses, or chapters later, will say, look, God can save us from this fire. But if he doesn't, he still is God. And that's true. We can pray to God, and there may be times when he doesn't answer our prayers the way he would like. But that doesn't make him any less God. And it, what it does mean is that there will be, in, in the times when God does answer our prayers, we've got to grab hold of that. And as we get older, and we're not middle schoolers anymore, like, we pray about things that are difficult in our lives. Uh, troubles and difficulties we have in our job that are exhausting us, troubles that we have with family members who are ill, or like relationships that we have in our lives that just seem sort of beyond repair. We can bring those to God, and when we see him clearly working in ways that really have no other explanation, then we are letting God provide. We are making a space for him, and that is what Daniel does, and I think that is a powerful lesson from the story of Daniel. But we've got one more thing to say about Daniel, and that is, uh, as we finish these last few verses of the first chapter, we got to enjoy God's blessings. Pick up in verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all the literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, When the king had commanded that they should bring in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus." 
just to grab a few peripheral blessings here, uh, I think it's worth noting that Daniel and his buddies are given so much wisdom that as, they, as the king compares them to all the other ones, they're the best ones. They're 10 times better than the other magicians and enchanters. And Daniel is there until the first year of King Cyrus. That's what it says in verse 21, which is, one, a really long time, and two, between a very, like, this was between the Babylonians and the Persians. There was a violent takeover of the Babylonian Empire, and yet Daniel, who was pretty high up in the kingdom at that point, is still makes it through this wild transition. And that, I think, is a testament to God's protection of him. But it just means that Daniel had what is in many ways like an unparalleled political career. And that is all because of the blessings of God. But as we dive uh, more deeply here, we, just, we see that God was looking out for his people. That when they had faith to stand up, faith to... Uh, keep themselves separate from the world, faith to stand up for uh, God, faith to create areas for God to work in their lives so that they were not created by the Babylonians, but they, had, uh, they, they knew that every blessing came from God. When they were that kind of people, they lived lives full of blessings. And that's not surprising to us. I mean, God, the creator of the universe the designer of our life knows how we should live. And when we choose to make choices that honor God in our lives, it should not be surprising to us that our lives work out better than other people's. And of course, this isn't like a health and wealth gospel sort of thing. There are gonna be exceptions to this, but like by and large, when we follow the wisdom of God and we live lives of character, our lives will work the way that God intended them to be. And if God intended our lives to, if if he gave us a standard for us to live the life that is the best, most godly, most fulfilling, successful by his standards, uh, then we shouldn't be surprised when we have good lives, uh, when we follow God. And that's the case, I've seen this, you know, in the positive and in the negative. I uh, have seen lots of people in the world make, poor decisions, uh, especially in their youth, that have just made their lives a whole lot more difficult. And I've seen people make decisions as they got older that it seemed like it was not going to be a big deal. It seemed like, you know, no one's really going to know. But when these things backfire, they backfire really poorly. And we can make choices Uh, that would appeal to what the world sees, make choices that would appeal to what we want in the moment without considering that these things can ruin our lives. But on the flip side, there are tremendous blessings, not just in avoiding the bad things of this world, but in living for God. I'll throw a couple verses up on the board. First, I want to talk about peace. In Philippians 4, it talks about the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mean, I was told when I was young that the world would be looking at me and that they would see that I was different from the world, that there were certain things that... Were not that we didn't have in common, and 
although they meant you know, character, I think this was also implied. And this has become even more true the older I've gotten, that there are lots of people out there who are really scared. Lots of people out there who they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But I have faith. And because of my faith, I have a peace that passes understanding. I have, a, through the knowledge of God, a, a, a way of living that is so much richer than what the world lives without their faith. And as a result of that, it's, it just it proves to me this point from Daniel, that when we follow God, we will find blessings, blessings that distinguish us from the rest of the world. Peace is one of them. Another one is wisdom. In Psalm 119, it says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I have kept your precepts. And uh, 1 Timothy 4, uh, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. In the first one, more focused on wisdom. The second one, a little bit more on character. But there's, both of them say, because I follow you, I stand out. I'm, I'm different. And one of them, of course, speaking to Timothy, but in the other, speaking of themselves, that I have a wisdom, a character that sets me apart from the world. And when they see that, they're like, something is different there. And not just different in a sort of a neutral way, but different in a way that's like, wow, they have been blessed, blessed with wisdom because they get things about the world that it took me much longer to get because we have the blessings of thousands of years of wisdom ahead of the world who's just figuring it out on their own. And additionally, we have... We get to be set apart by, in speech and in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, these things that make our life richer, make our life simpler, make our connection with God more powerful, but they make the way that we live different. And as a result of that, when we have a peace, a character, a wisdom that differentiates us from the rest of the world, that sets us apart, people are going to come and they're going to ask us, what is making you different? What's, what's so radical about the way you're living? And that's where 1 Peter 2 comes in. We're told, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been blessed by God, but it's for a purpose, it's for a purpose that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into a marvelous light. And that's true of, of course, of salvation, of grace, of many of the things that are probably more in mind of what Peter has to say. But it's true for these things as well, that we are going to live lives that are different from the world. And when they see that, they'll say, why? And we will say, it is because Christ lives in me. It is because God is blessing me. It is because of his wisdom and love that has transformed me and made me into the kind of person I am. And so as we wrap up here, look, we live in a world that is foreign to our faith, antagonistic even at times. And yet in the midst of that world, there are still enormous blessings for following God. And there are still opportunities for us to create circumstances to let God provide and let those moments build our faith for difficult times. And there are still opportunities, many opportunities, where our morals will be challenged and where we will have to stand up for our faith. And in those times, 
We have an opportunity to shine God's light into the world. And so uh, if you're here today and you are struggling with sin, struggling with the difficulty of living in a world that's so opposed to the way that we are trying to live, and you need prayers uh, or encouragement, we would love to help you. Or if you've never begun this journey to get these incredible blessings, to live and connect with God, then we would love to help you with that journey as well. Uh, If you have any need, please come as we stand and sing.